Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. I am so excited to have people in the room. Do you know that? Because it has been a long, like, eight or nine weeks just preaching to Steve and to Alex. And those guys need it, and I need it, but... You know, it's nice to have people in the room. And look, somebody already gave me a granola bar this morning because, I don't know, maybe they think I'm going to preach long because I'm so excited, so they gave me a little lunch. And apple juice is on sale at Sobeys, so it's just like, it's an exciting time, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, We're starting a new series we're calling Finish Strong. You know, we keep talking about the whole tail end of this pandemic and things are opening up and what are we in, phase three of five or six phase plan now? It's exciting. So let's talk about finishing strong. What does it mean to finish strong? We're talking about the end of the book of Acts. We're in chapters 24, 25, 26 today. We're talking about the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry and how things ended off and how he finished strong. So how do we finish strong? Uh, My title for this sermon this morning is called In My Defense. Uh, Today we're going to look at Paul on trial in Caesarea from Acts chapter 24 to 26, if you want to turn there. And it might sound kind of familiar because it's a lot like Jesus on trial the night before he was crucified. Let me give you some of the similarities, okay? The Jewish religious leaders hated Jesus and they hated Paul. They formed a plot to try and murder Jesus, and they formed a plot to try and murder Paul. They falsely accused Jesus. They falsely accused Paul. Jesus stood before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Paul stood before the Roman governors, Felix and Festus. You see all these similarities through it, but you know what one of the big differences is? It says of Jesus that as a lamb before its shearers was silent, so he opened not his mouth before his accusers. He didn't give much defense on his own. But Paul, he had a lot to say, and that's what we're going to dig into today. So big difference there. Do you ever feel the need to defend yourself? Have you ever been around when a story is being told that you were a part of and you just want to say, no, 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 that's not how it went. Let me tell you my side of the story. Let me tell you the rest. Let me tell you what actually happened. Do you ever feel like that? I feel like in a social media age with people making comments on Facebook and posting pictures of events that you're, there's constantly this feeling like we need to defend and justify ourselves. Here's one example. I have a pastor friend who was on a cruise. A picture was taken at the pool on the ship. The pool bar was in the background. You know where this is going, right? Of course, the pastor must have just been like cranked the whole time he was on the cruise because there's a bar in the background of his picture, right? But instead of going and talking to him directly, everybody has the conversation behind the scenes And then it blows up into this big thing and you feel the need to defend yourself. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt that need to defend yourself? What does that look like? We're going to hear some principles from the Apostle Paul as he's actually defending himself. And today I want to play a little game. We're going to go through a fairly long narrative. I'm going to try and give you just the highlights through three chapters of the book of Acts. And at the end of each little narrative plot twist, I'm going to ask the question, is this good? Or is this bad? 
and we're going to take a poll. And you can participate at home. Type it in the comments. Do you think the situation is good or do you think the situation is bad? Is it fair? Is it not fair? Is it just? Is it not just? Were they treated rightfully or were they treated wrongfully? So you guys get to be the judge. So you're going to need to pay attention. Is that okay? It's so good to have people in the room. Like last week, if I had said that, it just would have been silence. And I would have been sitting here by myself. And you wouldn't see it until Sunday. But uh, So here's the situation. The Apostle Paul is under arrest. He's being drugged through years of court appearances, false accusations from the Jews. And the reason that he's arrested initially is hilarious. So he's in the temple in Jerusalem. He's finished three missionary journeys that we've been digging through for months that are so exciting and such an incredible narrative. He's in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, just before he got in the temple, he was hanging out with a certain someone. Here's, here's what the Jewish leaders had to say, Acts 21 and verse 29. We're going to jump back and get some context in chapter 21. Verse 29 says, For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian, who's a Greek, a Gentile, with Paul in the city, and the religious leaders, they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Paul was arrested on assumption. It went like this. Um, Paul was with that guy out there who's a Gentile, and we didn't see him come into the temple with Paul, but we assume that he probably did. So let's get this evil sinner, right? And they get this, this mob together and they go in and they grab Paul. They drag him out of the temple. They start beating him. And the only reason Paul is spared is because God's grace in the form of the Roman tribunal marching in and protecting Paul, saving his life. And then look at what the Roman tribunal says. If assumptions weren't enough at this point, listen to this. Chapter 21 and verse 38. They look at Paul and they say, Hey, are you not the Egyptian? The one who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? So now Paul is not just somebody who brings his Gentile buddy into the temple. Now he's Batman right? With the shadow league of assassins at his side. He's some Egyptian hitman with 4,000 assassins leading them out of the city. Like, where do they come to that conclusion? How would they get that? Wouldn't you want to defend yourself? Paul, an Egyptian assassin leader. Yeah, sure. Okay, Paul, the first one. Are you ready? Is this going good or is this going bad for Paul? Who would, who would say good? Who would say bad? Okay, you at home online, what are you saying? Bad? Good? I think it's pretty clear this looks bad, doesn't it? Look at verse 24 of chapter 24. Oh, I skipped a whole section here. My apologies. Having people in the room is throwing me off. I'm just getting excited. It's not fair, is it? Do you, do you ever have somebody say something about you that's just totally not true? You know that feeling. And then instead of asking you directly about it, they go and tell 20 of their friends. And now this whole group of people is assuming the worst about you based on assumption, based on something they saw on social media, something that they heard from somebody through the grapevine and you don't hear about it until it comes through the grapevine. And then what is it then? 
It's not a fun spot to be. It's not fair. It's not just. And it happens all the time. On social media, it looks like, did you see so-and-so's pic? Did you see that person's comment? Well, I creep that person's profile. And you'll never guess who they're friends with on Facebook. Have you been in a conversation like that? Just end it right there. Just step in and say, did you talk to that person? Well, then you probably shouldn't talk to me about it. Because Jesus says, go to the person directly. Don't tell 20 of your friends. Uh, Acts chapter 24. So Paul is on trial before Felix. Not Felix the cat. This is Felix the Roman governor. Did anybody used to watch Felix the cat? Do you remember that old show? Uh, The Romans provide Paul with transport. They provide Paul with security by night because they, they know the Jewish mob has this plot out to kill him. And now Paul has opportunity to defend himself in Caesarea, up north from Jerusalem. So Felix, the Roman governor in Judea, he's a crooked man who accepted bribes and perverted justice. He twisted the system to get what he wanted. During his reign, crime in Judea was on the rise. Do you think Paul's going to get some sense of justice from Felix? A crooked man who perverts the system to get what he wants? I don't think so either. Acts chapter 24 and verse 14. One of, one of the Jewish religious leaders steps up, Tertullus, which is an awesome name. He speaks up and he accuses Paul of being the one to start the riot outside the temple. When probably this guy, along with other Jewish leaders, were the ones to actually start the riot and make the assumptions. He accused Paul of defiling the temple, of being a leader of the sect of the Nazarenes which is ridiculous. That's pretty much the opposite of what Paul stands for. Paul says, I didn't start the riots. I wasn't impure in the temple. You can go and ask the guy that I was with. He was with these people and they will speak on my behalf. Those are false accusations. They're assumptions. And then look at verse 14. He says, but I will confess this to you, that according to the way, the way of Jesus, Christianity that you've heard about, which they're calling a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down in the law and written by the prophets. What is the law and the prophets? It's the Old Testament, isn't it? It's it's their Bible that they had at this point in time. The law and the prophets. Verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So Paul says, if I'm guilty of anything, I'm guilty of worshiping God, believing the Bible, and trying to treat both man and God fairly. That's what I'm guilty of. And then it's almost like he has this light bulb moment and he remembers a time where he yelled at these people. So he says, oh, and by the way, uh, verse 21, other than this one thing that I yelled out, I cried out while standing among them, it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. Paul yells about the resurrection, which is like the whole crux of Christianity. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then Paul says, we are of all men most foolish and most to be pitied. Our whole faith rises and falls on whether Jesus truly fell in death and rose in new life. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, he's not just a good prophet or a good teacher. 
He's a crazy person because he claimed to be God and he claimed to rise from the dead. So Paul says, the real issue we're talking about today is not my behavior, is not these accusations against me. It's because these guys don't like me telling the world that Jesus has the power of life and death, that he really rose from the dead. So let's talk about what really matters. Look at what Felix did. Chapter 24 and verse 23. Then Felix gives orders to the centurion that Paul should be kept in custody But listen to this, but have some liberty, some freedom, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Isn't it crazy how God works? Uh, You have Felix, a man who's understood by historians as perverting the justice system to get what he wanted out of it, who stands up on behalf of Paul, protects Paul, houses Paul, feeds Paul, gives Paul an opportunity to speak, allows Paul to have friends visit him, allows Paul to have different freedoms and rights and privileges. So let's take a poll. Has Paul's situation gone from bad to good? Where are we at now? Is this now good? Who would say this is good? Okay, we have a few in the room online. Would you say it's good? How many people would say, no, this is still bad. Paul's still in prison. He's got this crooked guy looking out for him. Don't trust people like that. Who would say that? Good or bad? I sense we're kind of getting to some gray area here. Do you you ever feel like life is in limbo? Like (laughs) when you look back over the last 15, 16 months, whatever things have been, have you kind of thought to yourself that, uh, have we gotten anywhere? Have we learned anything? Have we learned any lessons? Have we made any progress, that sermon series that we did right before this last lockdown? Or are we just right back to where we started? Paul's in limbo, and he's trying to figure out what all this means for him. Look at Acts chapter 24 and verse 27. Here's the thing about Felix. I told you Felix was a crooked guy. He's just looking out for himself. Here, here, let's jump back to verse 24. It says, After some days... Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. It sounds like one of the evil stepsisters from Cinderella. Wasn't her name Drizella? This girl's name is Drusella. Drusilla, Drusilia, I don't know. Who was Jewish. Do you catch that bit? Who's she married to? She's married to the Roman governor, Felix. Drusilla, a woman who's Jewish. Now, just think about this. If you were trying to reach and minister to and get the truth of the gospel to a couple who is the Roman governor and a Jewish woman who married into Roman government, who's a Jew but now a citizen of Rome, who would you want to send? The Apostle Paul is a Jew who's a citizen of Rome, now talking to the Roman governor who's married to a Jew Like, do you see how God is orchestrating these events? Isn't that incredible? Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, who's being wrongfully detained, has opportunity to give the gospel not just to Felix, but to his Jewish wife at their request. How cool is this? This this is absolutely incredible. Who would have thought that Paul would be requested to speak the message of Jesus before Roman officials? They're feeding him. They're housing him. They're protecting him. They're listening to him. If it wasn't for the chains, this would be a pretty good gig. (laughs) The message of the gospel brought to you by the Apostle Paul, sponsored by the Roman government. 
How cool is that? Here's the thing. Felix is just hoping for money. The whole time he's holding his hand out, just hoping for money. And we see that when we get to verse 27. It says, when two years had elapsed. Talk about limbo, right? Did anybody think when COVID first came onto the news that they were like, oh yeah, 15, 16, 17, 18 months, two years. Yeah, that's a reasonable timeline. I remember one of the podcasts that I listened to, uh, the pastor said, you know, we're planning for late summer 2020 to still have some of these restrictions in effect. Well, that was a year ago, Craig Rochelle, and now we're a year later and we're still dealing with it. Paul's been in prison for two years, wrongfully detained, wrongfully accused. There have been no proper charges laid against him. He's just sitting in limbo. What a bad place to be. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, verse 27. There's a, a changing of the political structure. Desiring to do the Jews a favor, here's the crooked, twisted, perverted sense of this guy. Felix left Paul in prison. Do you remember the story of Joseph in Egypt and he goes to prison and there's the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker? That wasn't actually the terms, but one of them gets out and is restored to their position and the conversation, the promise is, I'll remember you, Joseph. And then Joseph is forgotten in prison for years. Paul's left for two years. You know, I think in an effort to please everyone, Felix twisted the rules, tried to play a favor to the Jews. He just ended up frustrating everyone and perverting the justice system. You know, when you try and please everyone, that's usually where you end up. You can't please everyone. You've got to stand for something and you've got to make a decision. You can't just ride the fence and hope that everybody keeps following you. Paul's stuck in a political power move that has nothing to do with him, everything to do with Felix's reputation. And now Festus, this new guy, is governor over Judea, the Roman governor. And he knows nothing of Paul's story. So now, how would Paul not feel like he's just back at square one? The last two years, I mean, what are they? Now we've got a new guy in control, and now I've got to tell him the whole story over again. So let's, let's say this. Good or bad. Felix, the crooked guy, is gone. There's a new guy. What would you say? Is Paul's situation getting better, or is Paul's situation getting worse two years later in prison? Good, bad, ugly. Let's talk about this new guy, Festus. What a name, Festus. Wasn't he one of the, uh, one of the ones from the Adams family? Festus? Fester, so close. Gunsmoke. See, I knew if I started talking about Adam's family, then of course our church family would know because we've got a lot of Adam's family. I mean the name, like not the characters or the qualities from the show. Um, the chief priests, Jewish leaders, they're still wanting Paul put to death two years later. Like they're still fuming and feuding. You know when you hold a grudge? That's exactly what happens. You keep on holding it. Two years later, they're still fighting the same battle that they were two years before, wanting their semblance of justice. So they speak to Festus about getting Paul to Jerusalem so that they can have him on their trial with their Jewish religious system. But their hope the whole time is to ambush the posse on the way to Jerusalem and just kill Paul and get it over with. So instead, Festus says, why don't you come to Caesarea 
and we'll do the whole court system, the whole, we'll put them on trial all over again. We'll just do it all over again. Okay, so that's what they do. This would become typical of Festus' time in governing. Uh, he just did whatever everybody wanted to do. He was another people pleaser, perverting the justice system, trying to keep the peace between the Jewish religious leaders and between King Agrippa and the other political people in the conversation. So a week later, Paul's on trial. Again, he's swarmed with all these false accusations. It feels like nothing's changed from the same group of Jews. None of these accusations can be proved. Festus, just like Felix, is hoping to give the Jews a favor. He's playing the people pleaser game. He offers Paul to go to Jerusalem. And here's Paul's response. He says, to the Jews, I have done no wrong. Like, what are the charges? What have you written down? What are you accusing me of? And Paul, as a Roman citizen, who's a Jew, appeals to Caesar. He trumps the whole system. It's, it's like he plays the dual citizenship card. He's like, no, you can't go any further with this. You can't send me to Jerusalem until I plead my case before Caesar. So he appeals to Caesar, and that's exactly what happens. Festus says, if you appeal to Caesar, then to Caesar you will go. Uh, now he's going to be sent as a prisoner to Rome, but there's still some business to attend to. There's still another character to talk to. Why do Felix and Festus think that they can just skirt their way around the law, try and please everyone, play favors, take bribes? That's not justice at all, is it? The Jewish religious leaders, they want Paul dead. The Roman representative in Judea is just doing whatever looks good on the report for his governance at the end of the quarter. Who's looking out for what's fair for Paul? Who's taking care of Paul? We're going to get there now. We're going to get there. <laughs> Imagine what the church has thought at this point. Think about this. This is two years later. Man, we haven't heard a lot from that guy, Paul. When was the last time we saw him? Oh, it was in the temple in Jerusalem. And you remember that angry riot? Oh, yeah, you know, we got out of there as soon as that happened. And they pulled Paul out. I watched them beating Paul. And I, I couldn't see over the crowd. But then I saw the Roman tribunal come. And they stopped. They saved Paul's life, thank goodness. But then they accused him of something. I just heard about assassins in Egypt. And then they pulled him away. And we haven't seen him since. Do you think the churches are maybe thinking that this Paul guy, he's long gone? So let's take a poll. Two years later, Paul's probably dead now. Forget about that guy. Are things getting good? Or are they still pretty bad? Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. Are you tracking with the story here? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about King Agrippa and Bernice. They arrive on the scene. The Jewish King Agrippa, accompanied by his sister, I believe it is, Bernice. I don't know if she's called Queen Bernice. Um, they had their disputes with the Jewish religious leaders because they wanted to add an extension onto the palace and apparently it affected or, or got in the way of worship in the temple, it blocked their view or something. So a wall was erected. Do you ever put up a wall between you and your neighbors thinking that that's going to fix the feud, but it just kind of adds fuel to the fire? I've never been there, but I've heard some stories, seen some uh, sitcom episodes where that's the plot. But th th this is what it is. And Festus is the one who steps in and he tries to like smooth things over, but he just ends up sticking his foot in his mouth and it's just a messy situation. So they arrive in Caesarea to hear Paul's case. 
Festus explains that the Jews' main concern against Paul was a religious one, and therefore he didn't know what to charge him with. He didn't know what to write down. He figured that Paul should just go with the Jews, but then he's appealed to Caesar, so now we've got to do something with this. But before we ship him to Rome, uh, we got to make a proper accusation against this guy. So look at how Festus describes this. Acts 25 and verse 19. Rather they, the Jewish religious leaders, this is Festus talking to King Agrippa, they had certain points of dispute with Paul about their own religion. Listen to this. About a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Now just picture this. You think just, just two or three decades earlier, the message of Jesus has been a carpenter traveling with a group of blue-collar guys through small fishing villages in Galilee and stepping into Jerusalem a few times. Now the gospel is being communicated from Roman governors to Jewish kings in a Roman city in northern Judea. Like, how did we get here? Festus says, this Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. That's what we're talking about. And look at the king's response. Get this. Just think about Paul's three missionary journeys, when he's been, what he's been through, this whole situation. The church is thinking, where is Paul? We haven't seen that guy in two years. Acts 25, verse 22. Then King Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said Festus, you will hear him. Just think about all Paul's been through. You remember the message that Steve preached and he was talking about how Paul was compelled by love and he went through all of the junk. Why would Paul go through all of that in his missionaries? Because he's compelled by love. You think of all that Paul went through and now Paul is being requested by the Jewish king to give him the story of Jesus. Would you say the situation is good? Would you say the situation is bad? It's looking pretty neat from that perspective, isn't it? But, but let me remind you of this. The whole reason for this court appearance is to write down a charge against Paul that's going to be tucked in his chains as they throw him in the hull of a boat and send him for Rome. Good, bad, ugly. Acts chapter 25, verse 27. Festus says, For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. They're all there to determine the charges against Paul. That's the reason for this whole meeting. They just want something to, to write, to send them in the ship to Rome. But there's a level of intrigue in the story, isn't there? I mean, think about this. The king and his sister and the governor and the Roman military and the Jewish religious leaders, they don't show up every time a criminal is charged and sent to Rome. They're not going to get this whole red carpet crew together for the biggest, most exciting event that Judea has ever seen, where everybody shows up to and it says King Agrippa and his sister Bernice show up with great pomp and splendor. I don't know if that's horses and carriages, like when Prince Ali Ababwa arrives at Agrabah in the Disney movie Aladdin, do you remember that? And genies singing and there's elephants and stuff. I don't know if that's what they're referring to with the pomp. But think about this red carpet event. 
everybody who's anybody, the who's who of the A-list is all there. And who are they there to see? Who's the headliner? Who's going to be hosting the Golden Globes this year? Well, it's Paul. And the main topic of conversation is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Think about that. Paul would have given his left leg and his right leg to, to be there, to do that. And now they're paying his way, chaining him up and forcing him to do it, telling him to do it, inviting everybody to hear him do it. How cool is this? We said last week that when Paul was on house arrest, it probably wasn't Paul who was chained to the soldier. It was the soldier who was chained to Paul, like an evangelist sitting in the plane who's, you know, the person beside them is stuck there for two hours. They're going to hear how much God loves them in those two hours because they can't jump out the plane. Well, Paul's here. And they're asking him to give them the gospel. Tell us the whole story. Could it be that when people wish to argue or question or accuse you or call you names, maybe saying that this is an opportunity that God is giving you to communicate the gospel? Maybe like your coworker in the break room saying, so you're telling me you believe in a carpenter from 2,000 years ago who lived in some obscure village, who claimed to be God, who said he was going to rise from the dead. But then they follow it with, tell me more, right? That's a crazy story. This is intriguing. I just need to hear more. King Agrippa says, I've got to go there and I've got to hear this for myself. I can't read it next week when it comes out on the weekly tabloid. <laughs> Curtis got that. Um, so Festus calls the courtroom to order. Here's the final scene. Are you with me? Is this good? Is this bad? Festus calls the courtroom to order. King Agrippa speaks up. Paul, you have my permission to tell the story for yourself. <laughs> How cool is that? Oh, never tell a preacher that he has full permission and go speak whatever he wants. Be here all day. Tell the gospel, Paul. Tell it in your own words. You have my permission. Paul tells the whole story. How he is a Jew, raised as a Pharisee, persecuted the church with authority from the chief priests. I wonder if that point he pointed over, and those are the guys right there who wrote the letter for me to carry to Damascus. They're right there. And then King Agrippa's like, wait a second. You're one of them? You were trained as one of them? You got written permission from one of them? Can I see that? This guy is one of you guys? This is hilarious. This story just gets crazier as it goes. And he says uh, about seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus, being blinded by the light, being commissioned by Jesus, the mission, the purpose that Jesus had sent him on, and how he's preached the message of Jesus from that day since. And now I've, I've just got to read to you the next part, because this story is so good. I've I just end up repeating the whole thing. So just let me read it. Acts chapter 26 and verse 24. As Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows these things. And to him I speak boldly, King Agrippa, who's sitting in the room, who's a Jew, who grew up as a Jew, who would have memorized parts of the Old Testament, who would have known the Jewish laws, who would have known the Messiah that was to come. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Verse 27. 
I know that you believe. Verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, in the presence of all these people, here's what King Agrippa said. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? There's kind of a tone of hope there, isn't there? He's hearing, he's listening. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me this day might be such as I am, except for these chains. I wish not just you, King Agrippa, but everybody sitting in this room, all these Roman officials, all this Roman military, the Jewish religious leaders, the royalty, I wish that you would all come to know Jesus Christ as I've come to know him. Can you imagine? Apostle Paul is having this conversation with the king in the presence of all these officials. Festus brushed off his words as being out of his mind, but King Agrippa said, it's going to take longer than this. It's going to take more conversations than this. Do you really think I would give my life to Christ in this one conversation? You know, we put a lot of emphasis on the, um, this is my big shot conversations, don't we? When the moment is right, then I'm going to give it. And we think that we're going to take somebody from A to Z in one conversation. But the reality is, if we just push them a notch towards knowing Jesus more and understanding the love of God and understanding their place under the creator, that they would know that in humility we need to lower our knees to the Lord of heaven and earth because he gave his son in death for us who rose again from the dead to give us new life and hope and a purpose and things that this world cannot offer. If we could just push them to be or to see or to D and allow God to work through us and allow God to give the increase, isn't that the way we should look at these conversations? Isn't King Agrippa saying in a short while I'm not going to make this decision. Isn't that little sense of hope what Paul was called to do? Didn't Paul fulfill the mission right here and now? Personal testimony is powerful, especially in a court system. Eyewitness testimony. I mean, who can argue with that? It's game changer. Paul's testimony was centered on Jesus, his life before Jesus and his life since. And then look at verse 30. Then the king stands up. When a king stands up, it means something, doesn't it? And the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, all the big wigs. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, they get this little huddle in, in, a, in a back room. They're like, we're going to make our decision now. This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Does that sound like the trial that Jesus was on the night before his crucifixion? This man has done nothing wrong. Verse 32, and Agrippa, the king, said to Festus, you know, it's, it's just too bad. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Ah, they were going to set him free, but he appealed to Caesar. Now, let me ask you, has the situation gone bad or is it good? Like King Agrippa's in Paul's corner, man, we were going to set him free. It's too bad he appealed to Caesar. What would you say? Did Paul make a mistake there? Does look bad. Surface level, right? Well, let's get beyond surface level. Let's get a little deeper here. What do you, what do you think? He could have been set free. They had no accusation to write about him. Sounds like Jesus on trial when Pilate washed his hands clean and said, this man is innocent. Herod couldn't be bothered. Someday the judge will 
judge the living and the dead and justice will truly be served. But until that day, these are the systems and these are the stories that take place and true justice is not served. Let's finish off talking about some theology, if we could. God's providence. How active and in control is God in everyday life situations? Completely, okay. We, we know God's in control, but we also believe we have a level of free will and choice. Adam and Eve in the garden, they had to choose whether or not they were going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ended up eating from it. They made the wrong choice. We know that God is sovereign, which means he's overall. He's sustainer, which means he's under all. He's literally holding it up. He's omniscient, so he knows all. He's omnipresent, so he's everywhere in and through all. And he's all-powerful. But somehow in this mysterious relationship between the creator and the creation, he gives us free will. How, how do those correspond? When we talk about God's providence, we say things like this. Why would God allow that to happen? Or we say, I'm so glad that God stopped that car in the intersection. Or we say things like, man, when I got that diagnosis right at the start and we were able to treat it, that was God's timing, right? You've heard things like this. God is moving. God is active. He's not some grand clockmaker who spins the hands and then sits back and watch creation flow out. He's active and involved. He cares for the sparrow. He clothes the lilies. He is every hair of your head numbered. He is active and involved and caring and invested and working. You see, we love to talk about God's providence when things go right, when things are good, when things are just, but when things aren't fair, when situations are bad, when justice isn't served, how do we communicate God's providence then? What do we say? God, if you're in control, why did my mom get cancer? Why did my husband walk away? Why did that car accident change my life forever? God, why didn't you intervene? That's providence. Why didn't you step in? Why didn't you stop it? I know you can. You're all powerful. You're you're sovereign, you're sustainer, you're in and through. You could have, why didn't you? That's how we talk about God's providence. You know, my, my favorite verse on God's providence is Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And you can probably quote it with me. Elsie and I made it our relationship verse like 14, 15 years ago. It says, and we know that in all things, every situation, the good, the bad, the ugly, whether you think Paul's having a good day or whether things are looking really bad, in all things, God works for good. God works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. But how do we translate that when things are bad? God, how could you be working this together for my good? I'm falsely accused twice, arrested, forgotten in prison for two years. Now I've got these crooked guys trying to figure out my justice, and I've got Roman and Jewish, and this situation looks bad. How can you work this together for good? I think in the conversation on God's providence, it all hinges on the definition of good. What is good? 
Now, I put you through that painful process of good, bad. Is it good? Is it bad? And some of us chose good. Some of us chose bad, gray areas. It looked clear at times. It looked confusing at times. Maybe you thought I was leading you to say one thing. But how do you define what is good and what is bad? Well, the definition of good is then directly tied to that term purpose in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Things that are good contribute towards the purpose. So what is God's purpose? If it's good for God's purpose, then it's good for us. God's purpose in the universe, through his word, in your life, is his plan of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the purpose. That's the goodness. We refer to it as the good news, the gospel. So what's good for the good news is good for you. What's good for the message of Jesus is in turn good for you. So we can throw around terms like fair and justice and standing my ground, standing up for myself. But in reality, what is good for the gospel is good for you because the gospel is good news for you. Are you following my train of thought? Let's apply it to the Apostle Paul and what we talked about here in my last few paragraphs of notes, I promise. Paul's wrongfully detained under Roman governors and Jewish king. How is that good? God's purpose for Paul from when Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus was articulated like this. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, go, And find Paul. He's talking to one of his disciples, one of his followers, or goes to Paul. Paul's scales fall off his eyes like scales. You've heard the story. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings. Man, it's good to have people in the room. Kings, 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 and the children of Israel. God. God prophetically announced, I don't know if you call it prophecy, if God's saying it, but he knows the truth about the future, and he announced that Paul would preach the gospel to Jews, Gentiles, and kings. We just read about King Agrippa saying, Paul, tell me the story. You have my permission. (laughs) The situation was good in that it accomplished the purpose that God declared for Paul when he was on the road to Damascus, not just speaking before King Agrippa, but also being a prisoner in Rome, Acts 23 and verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage, Paul, for as you have testified the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Paul appealing to Caesar wasn't a slip of the tongue where he made a mistake and he could have been free and he could have planted more churches. It was a fulfillment of God's plan for the movement of the gospel to Rome. And Paul is fulfilling the mission that God sent him on. You might think, well, that's a version of good, but it wasn't good for Paul. I mean, you know what the poor guy went through, chains, accused, mistreated, shipwrecked, never seeing freedom again. But here's the thing, what's good for God's mission is what's best for you. What's good for the good news is what's good for you because the good news is good news for you. There's nothing better. Charles Spurgeon said, if I am called to be a servant of God, why would I stoop to be a king? There is nothing better 
than being in God's will, serving God's mission with God's message, the good news. If it's good for the good news, then it's good news for you. There is nothing better. Ultimately, Jesus is the only one who's going to provide true justice. So why defend ourselves? I'm going to end right there and close in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, we want to praise you for who you are today. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are marvelous. How can we even wrap our minds around them? Thank you for who you are today. Thank you for your providential work in and through and behind the scenes. When we see you working, we praise you. God, when we don't see you working, help us to remember that you are always at work. You are working in people's hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit is active and moving. God, when we're talking to our friends about Jesus and they call us out of our, out of our mind for believing in some guy who lived 2,000 years ago who claimed to be God and claimed that he was going to rise again from the dead, God, I pray that you would be working and moving as we know that you are. God, I thank you that you use Paul to preach to emperors and to kings. And as we're going to see in the weeks to come, that he would even travel to Rome. God, thank you so much for how you work. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope, for the purpose it gives us. Thank you for your love today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for participating in our online service today. If you haven't yet filled out the Connect card, would you take a moment to do so? Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. While you're there, you can check out all of the video content that we've recorded over the years. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook page. And while you're on Facebook or YouTube, make sure to hit that notification bell. That way you will not miss a video. It'll send a notification to your phone, to your email. For all other information, you can go to our website, sharethejourney.ca. I really hope that you are encouraged to be a disciple making disciples this week.